Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. We stream live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays at DocWashburnShow.com. Minutes after each live stream is completed, the Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at all your favorite podcast platforms. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at DocWashburnShow.com. Now, this is episode 60 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Wednesday, January 5th, 2022. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashmanshow.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. We're about a minute away from um, a, a serious, serious interview, and I hope you'll stick around because uh, you're going to learn some stuff today. Now, if you've ever tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage that you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom. That includes the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they will drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still there to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options that you have full control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can determine what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live. RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. All right, producer Brian, if you can go ahead and uh, and bring our guest on, so he can he can hear our uh, yeah. There we go. There we go. So he can hear our our introduction. All right. Before I introduce our guest today, I have to ask you: Have you seen Joe Rogan's interview with Doctor Robert Malone yet? If not, I strongly recommend it. Doctor Malone actually invented the technology that's being used in the COVID vaccines. The podcast he did with Joe Rogan tells you the truth about the China virus and the U.S. government's lies. We've seen a lot of evidence that doctors and hospitals are killing people by refusing to treat them for the Wu flu. The information Dr. Malone shares in the Joe Rogan podcast is a matter of life and death. I watched the whole podcast interview. In it, Dr. Malone mentions his organization, Global COVID Summit. Dot org. Now, a number of doctors associated with Dr. Malone 
are going to be hosting the latest World COVID Summit this Saturday at Apostolic Church on Landers Road in North Little Rock, Arkansas. If you're in the area, please plan to join us. Dr. Malone actually told Joe Rogan about one of the doctors that he's associated with. His name is Kirk Milhone. Now, that's actually Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Dr. Kirk A. Milhone, pediatric cardiologist, 59th Maternal Child Care Squadron. I want to play for you a two-minute clip from Joe Rogan's podcast interview with Dr. Robert Malone, and then we will introduce our guest. So here goes. Peter McCullough is the textbook example of hunting physicians, right? The guy is 150,000 in debt right now in the hole in trying to defend his medical license. This is one of the most highly published authors in the world. Um, he's an exceptional researcher, you know, and, and apparently a pretty good podcaster, too. Um, uh, based on, <laughs> I mean, the guy's published more in his field than any other physician in history. And Baylor's trying to take him out. And it's not only Baylor, it's some entity outside of Baylor that's come in and is financing the attacks on him. But just to bring it home in a really, not to make it all about me, but to be able to speak in the first person. Okay, So I went to Maui with a bunch of physicians a few months ago, and we gave talks and did training about early treatments. We didn't talk about vaccines. There's only one hospital on Maui, on the island of Maui. It's owned by a, a it's basically a Kaiser Permanente satellite. Okay. Um, so we went there, we gave that talk. That hospital and the hospitalists associated with it are actively involved and have kicked out Kirk Milhound because he's giving early treatment with the horse drug, ivermectin. Okay. Now, who's Kirk Milhound? You know, why is he why is he in this hospital? What is he qualified? Okay, he's an MD, PhD, pediatric cardiologist with his PhD training at UC San Diego in vascular inflammation. He is among the most qualified individuals in the world for managing um, COVID and commenting on cardiomyocarditis in children. And they've kicked him out of the hospital. Just for prescribing ivermectin. For early treatment. Okay? He also happens to be a pastor at a local congregation. He runs a food bank. His whole life he has traveled to emerging economies to provide free treatment. This is the kind of exemplar person that we all should be. Lieutenant Colonel Kirk Milhone, it's an honor to welcome you to the Doc Washburn Show. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well, sir. Thank you, and it's an honor to be on. Well, the honor is all ours. I appreciate it. So um, right off the bat, how does a doctor, a pediatric cardiologist, a lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force get kicked out of a hospital? What, what in the world is going on in the state of Hawaii? Well, what happened is myself and one of the, uh, the public health officials for the island of Maui was having a podcast, and we were just discussing about what doctors always talk about, and that is, before you give any treatment, any medication, any surgery, you always have to talk about the risks, benefits, and alternatives. And because this is a relatively new virus that we're dealing with, it has a new presentation, and people are trying to figure out how to ameliorate the symptoms or prevent hospitalization, prevent, prevent death, there are a lot of different things that are being tried. Um, 
we often know in retrospect how successful those are. So when we're doing something, we're saying, well, we're trying this new medicine, this new treatment. So we really, when things are under emergency use authorization, uh, we are um, engaging people in a medical trial. Before we engage someone in a medical trial, we need to actually have their informed consent that they will say, and so let me explain to you what's good about this, we think. Let me explain to you what is possibly a risk to you that we think, because we don't know the future. We don't know what it's going to look like in 20 to 45 years, you know, whatever it is. Um, And then let me tell you what the alternatives are if you choose not to take this. Um, That's the discussion we were having. Um, The... um, a state, uh, it was um, presented on Honolulu Advertiser, um, our newspaper, and they basically demonized, demonized myself and the public health official uh, and said we were quacks because we would do basically what the, what the federal mandate from the FDA tells us as physicians before we treat anybody, especially with something under emergency use authorization, um, what we're required to do. So uh, it, it is amazing to me. It, it just, it's, <laughs> I find myself constantly confused. You're really going to attack the physicians who are actively trying to keep people out of the hospital? Well, apparently so. Apparently so. It reminds me yeah. of the, the verse out of the New Testament, have I now become your enemy for telling you the truth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah very true, yes. So, so okay, there, there's only one hospital, if I understand what Dr. Malone told Joe Rogan, uh, correctly, there's only one hospital on the island of Maui. A lot of people never been to Hawaii. Don't realize Maui, of course, a different island than Oahu, where, yeah. where Honolulu is. But I guess the, the the big newspaper there pretty much covers the whole state. So only one hospital on the island of Maui, and um, so the administration there said y- you're no longer welcome here because you were basically following standard operating procedure of what any doctor would do for many, many years uh, with a new drug under emergency use authorization? Yeah, no, it's much, it's, it's much, it's not about really the hospital. What is really about it's the Hawaiian medical board that is coming after me. Oh, okay. Um, uh, so it's the Hawaiian medical board and that impacts everything you do. Um, uh, so this is actually a bigger thing. You know, one hospital is not an issue. It's, it's the Hawaiian medical board. And then there is, we have been all of all practicing physicians have been getting warning letters from the Federation of state medical boards and the, our board certification saying, if you do anything that we think isn't right, you talk about early treatment, you talk about concerns for vaccines, you do anything that we can be, we are warning you that we may consider you unethical and take away your uh, medical license as well as your board certifications. Wow. So that's the Federation of State Medical Boards. So that's all 50 states then. Yeah. This is the letter that got sent out to everybody. I mean, they are basically saying you're, you're going to speak the narrative only. And if you don't, um, if you go outside the narrative, um, we're coming after you. Wow. Well, we have listeners in all 50 states, and I can't speak for all of them, but um, I'm sure there are some state legislators in the state of Arkansas, which is where I am, who would really like to see um, that letter and try to hold the state medical board in Arkansas accountable. That's that's outrageous. That's- yeah, almost everyone who's part of the COVID Global Summit 
almost every one of us to a person has gotten a letter from the board. Um, and what, there's also another organization that is out there um, that is called the um, No License for Disinformation.org. And they are a group of physicians that are um, targeting people who are offering early treatment, have concerns for vaccine uh, safety and efficacy, and and sending out um, basically anonymous um, 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 complaints about us to medical boards. Um, so there, this is a concerted effort um, that has organization behind it to take out people who are simply trying to keep people out of the hospital. You, you know, there's a time in medicine we were concerned more about prevention than cure. Right? Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> and so that's what we're about. We're about prevention, not cure. And if you get the disease, how can I treat you early? How can I unload the 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 um, the the burden on the hospitals? How can I keep people from uh, from being on oxygen? How can I keep them from being um, needing ICU care? That is the heart of what we're doing, and we find ourselves in biblical times of there will come a time when they will call good evil and evil good. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. Um, I had one of your colleagues, Dr. Richard Urso, on the other day who is also scheduled to speak with you at the Global COVID Summit meeting in North Little Rock this Saturday. Um, and... I discussed with him, and I want to run this by you, so many anecdotes, um, not just the state of Arkansas, but in different parts of the country, of people showing up at a hospital um, with symptoms, testing positive for COVID-19, and being told, we're not going to give you anything. Uh, go home and come back if you get worse. They get worse, they come back, and, oh, gee, sorry, you missed the window of opportunity for treatment uh, We'll put you on a ventilator, and then they die. Uh, what, what's how, how do we wrap our minds around this this phenomena that seems to be widespread? Um, yeah, that that's uh, that's a story that I have personally had to deal with on this island, um, and but it's a story that's told throughout. Um, actually, not only throughout the United States, but really throughout the the, the Western world. Um, of so there, there's such a desire not to be, offer early treatment, except, and I think the major push has been we want the vaccine, we want the vaccine, we want the vaccine. Yeah. And so there, you know, the vaccine under emergency use is sort of requires that there aren't any other treatments available. Um, well, there are other treatments available. There are hundreds, really hundreds of peer-reviewed um, papers out to show that early treatment is effective and works. I mean, these are from journals like Lancet that showed that if we treated early with budesonide or steroids, that we could really decrease the rate of hospitalization. But people, I mean, I know people who went to their doctor and said, hey, I have COVID, I'm feeling bad. And they go, well, call 911 if you get worse. That's didn't it. Even treat them with steroids. I'm not even talking about like the controversial hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. Or did, are they getting people in for the monoclonal antibodies? Uh, this is. I mean, I hear this repeating story, but and because of that, I often get people late, which I'm missing a critical window. In that first five days is really important. It's um, it's outrageous. You know, I think I may have had the Wu flu, December tenth, twenty nineteen. Felt like I had the flu. Regular stuff wasn't working. I didn't know what to do. Uh, my wife sent me down to an urgent care place here in Little Rock, Arkansas. Again, this is like a month before I'd heard anything about COVID-19. And they wanted to give me a steroid. I'm like, gee, steroids? Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the nurse said, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you go to the health food store, 
You're on vitamin C already, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, get some vitamin D, get some zinc, get some elderberry at the health food store and see how that works. I said, okay. And I was in great shape 24 hours later. Um, but I went like as soon as I felt like I was coming down with the flu. And uh, it's, um, it's outrageous that early treatment is being poo-pooed, is, is being squelched. Um, do you think it might have anything to do with like hundreds of billions of dollars that the vaccine makers are getting? You know, for such a long time, I, I, I avoided this. I defended the pharmaceutical companies, largely because I never got any money from pharmaceutical companies. So when, we, when people would talk about big pharma, and I go, oh, come on, guys, I don't, I don't get any money from big pharma. And I really defended them. I've been a long defender of the CDC. I followed their guidelines. I was a long defender of the FDA. I had hope and I had trust and I had faith in these organizations. Um, I will tell you that the it's really hard to figure out what's going on, but it's that old adage, follow the money. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're speaking with Dr. Kirk Milhone. He'll be one of the speakers of the Global COVID Summit presentation this Saturday in North Little Rock. If you're in Central Arkansas, I highly recommend you join us. Tickets are available at globalcovidsummit.org. Okay, Dr. Milhone, there has been a lot of misinformation uh, with COVID-19. Early on, we were told to spray everything we bought at the grocery store with a 70% alcohol solution when we got the stuff home. A few months later, CDC quietly admitted, well, you can't really catch COVID from a dry surface. We were also told there was no such thing as a false positive COVID test. Boy, that turned out to be wrong. Uh, Joe Biden even told us repeatedly, if you get the vaccine, you won't get COVID. But, of course, a lot of the people hospitalized with COVID are double vaccinated and boosted. What are some of the fallacies about COVID that we're being told today? Um, well, I think that for a long time it was the – most recently it's been that this is a pandemic of the, of the unvaccinated. Um, I think we're seeing that as that is clearly not true. There's a demonization of a good 30 to 40 percent of our population of how we were an enemy, um, uh, even people who had recovered. I think the other thing, there's been an incredible attack on the valuable uh, enduring immunity of natural immunity that came from someone who was infected. So what's happening, you'll see this as, as Omicron is coming through and infecting a lot of people. A lot of those who are double vaxxed and got boosted in the healthcare settings are now coming down with Omicron. Um, uh, the, um, and they were saying, well, we have to, you know, and doctors and nurses, um, healthcare providers and, uh, um, you know, ancillary personnel, um, if you didn't get fully, fully um, vaccinated and boosted, you're at risk of losing your job. Um, and many people did lose their job because they didn't do this. But the, the idea was, is if people are vaccinated and boosted, then they'll be much, much safer than they're naturally immune. We have over, like, a, a last I checked, 134 studies show how the natural immunity is better than actually the vaccine immunity. Why is that? When you give a, when you, when you get an immunity, it's really going just to your blood. Um, so your your body forms an immunity, immunity that is basically within the body. Um, one of the beauties of natural infection is the mucosal membranes, your nose, your mouth, they form antibodies around, also called IgA antibodies. And so you have that first defense. Um, so natural immunity is, is something that we shouldn't um, discount. We should go, wow, this is beautiful. Um, right now, if you're, 
if you have natural immunity, and I can prove my natural immunity from when I had COVID about six months ago, yeah. um, I can prove it two different ways with IgG antibodies. I can prove it with T-cell um, uh, antibodies. I can prove it the fact that I see COVID patients every day um, and have not gotten reinfected. Uh, the um, uh, but that is not held to any standard, right? I can't fly without testing. I can't go to Europe. I can't go to this country. I can't go into a restaurant. I am, even though I'm probably safer by statistics, I'm safer than the, the vaxxed and boosted. I'm still now a secondary person. When I was in LA, my son and I walked in. I'd already had COVID. Um, they said, Oh, I'm sorry. You can't sit in the restaurant unless you have a vaccination card. I said, Well, I've already, I have natural immunity. No, you'll have to sit outside. So my son happens to be black, and so my son and I go sit outside of the hotel restaurant because that's where we're allowed to sit. I see another uh, another white woman who had interracial children come out, and she looked at me and she said, I'm teaching my children about segregation. And then as I got up to leave after we finished our breakfast, I looked over, and there were two large families, and the men were both wearing yarmulkes. And I thought, oh, my gosh, they have the blacks, the mixed race, and the Jews outside of the restaurant, and wow. I thought, what have we come to? Yeah, um, it's it's outrageous. It's outrageous, and you know it. It, it kind of takes me to something else that Doctor Malone was talking to uh, uh, Joe Rogan about, which is uh, the concept of mass formation psychosis. Um, <laughs> do, do you do you want to tackle that one? You know, I, I try to wrap my hands around this, and as a you know, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I, I have to put I put you know my life as a physician, my life as a as in as doing international medical work, you know, in Iraq and Tanzania and Kosovo, Mongolia, all these different countries. Um, it all fun, fall, falls under this um, world view of what the scriptures say. Um, and what I liken this too is from the second book, second book of Thessalonians in chapter two. It talks that there will be a mass delusion upon the earth, yeah. and that's what I feel is that um, when I try to talk to people, it's like it's almost like they have their ears are plugged. Um, um, I'm not I'm not talking about crazy things. I'm talking about about information that I have peer reviewed literature on. And when I show it to them, usually what I hear from those people are just attacks. Oh, those people are idiots. Right. That's not how we discuss things in medicine. If I put forward something in a paper and you don't like it, you can say, well, this paper from this group will contradict that. We have that kind of discussion. People often ask us when we have these summits, why don't you bring other doctors to debate you? We'd love to. We're willing to go back to old school stuff that we used to do forever, and that is have legitimate debates. If someone doesn't think our early treatments work or they think they have a better better plan, if they want to talk about vaccine versus non-vax, we want to talk about myocarditis and vaccine versus uh, myocarditis and COVID, we're willing to have that discussion. We want to have that discussion. That's what makes medicine better. But we have gotten to this place where we are a single narrative. And if you step outside that narrative, you get crushed. Yeah. Yeah, no question about it. You know, whenever I come across name calling in response to a um, you know a reasonable argument on social media I, I have a, a saying that I always go back to uh, ad hominem you know name calling mm-hmm. ad hominem yeah. tends to betray frustration with inability to construct a coherent persuasive argument 
<laughs> exactly. I mean, exactly. Right? Once you, so to me, thing to to me, there are two things that usually mean that you have no answer. Um, one is you just start name calling, and the other one is you have to declare how long you've been doing something. Yeah. Now, yeah, the, the, I've been doing this for thirty years. No, no. I, okay, so you've been doing it for thirty years. Good. Can you answer my question about this statement I just made? Right. Now, the, the when somebody says, "Hey, I've been doing this for thirty years," uh, or or don't you know who I am? Something like that. Yeah. That's a logical fallacy called appeal to authority. You know, uh, there, yeah. there's uh, there's a list somewhere of like the ten most used logical fallacies. And they are all designed to distract attention from the 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 argument from the matter at hand. Yeah, you know, there, there's appeal to authority. <laughs> I I can't remember. Oh, one of them is is appeal to intimidation. Uh, you better watch it, buddy. You know that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And, and it's all to distract from what you're actually trying to discuss. And it's um, it's a shame. Um, so. As, as part of this mass formation psychosis that Dr. Malone talked to uh, Joe Rogan about, uh, what do you make of people who are double vaccinated and boosted, who get deathly ill anyway, and start pleading with other people on social media, please get vaccinated? Yeah, yeah, that's that's really hard to explain, isn't it? Um, um, I, if if I took a medicine and I was told that if I take this medicine, I won't get a disease, and then I got the disease, I would question on the truth of the original assertion. Yeah. Um, um, the you know when we talk about this is that you know I, I'm not against a, va- a vaccine. I, I mean I'm a pediatrician. I'm vaccinated. I've probably written for vaccinations and vaccinated thousands of children. Um, but but we should be able to say you know what if I give someone a polio vaccine and they go down to to place where there might be some polio, I'm not afraid of them getting polio. So right. If I give someone, if I give my son a tetanus vaccine, I don't. When he steps on the rusty nail, I'm not afraid he's going to get tetanus. I've seen tetanus in Africa. Um, so th- there's this assumption, and I think that this is part of it: is that people have been so conditioned that we have given vaccines, and we're not getting people aren't getting mumps, they're not getting measles, they're not getting polio, they're not getting tetanus. That if you get a vaccine, then it will work. Right. But but this is a respiratory vaccine, and we have never been good at getting a vaccine for respiratory viruses. We don't have a vaccine for the common cold. We have, don't have a good vaccine for res- respiratory syncytial virus that, that can harm especially vulnerable children. Um, and now we, we've been trying, you know, like we have four different vaccines out that are, that are sort of widely circulated. We have another one coming out called the Novavax. We have another coming out called the Covaxin. Uh, there's the Sinovax. There's the one from, there's the Sputnik one. There are all these different ones, and none of them are showing themselves to be incredibly effective like we would assume. But I think also there's an enormous amount of social pressure that if you don't get the vaccine, then you are those dirty people that should be taken off to camps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of the vaccines and the emergency use authorization and the and the um vaccines that 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 may actually um be approved there's mm-hmm. this dirty little secret Pfizer announced months ago this Comirnaty vaccine <laughs> got fully approved by the FDA but uh they didn't mention oh by the way but it's not available in the United States. What's what's going on with that? 
So if you look on page 12 of the authorization that gave, um, basically it's no longer, the Cominarty is no longer under um, emergency use authorizations or like it's got full FDA approval. Right. On page 12, on page 12, they allowed that they could still use the their old vaccine um, under emergency use until basically the end of the year. Um, the difficulty with that is, is when it's under emergency use authorization, you're still technically an experimental subject. And because you basically you, you're supposed to have signed informed consent, then you take liability away from the drug manufacturer or sure. the vaccine manufacturer. Sure, sure. So we... To my knowledge, and I think I think this is a true statement, we have not given a dose of Cominarty in the U.S. to date. It is still all the vaccines that are all under emergency use authorization. When they say they approve a vaccine, you know, Pfizer gets approval to do the the 15 to 17-year-olds, and then it gives the 12 to 15, and then the 5 to 11. Those are still all under emergency use authorization, which requires, and if you've read, if you read what the the law requires, if it is a voluntary option to take the something that is under emergency use authorization, you must give the benefits, the risks, and an alternative. And if a person chooses not to be involved with something that is under emergency use authorization, you cannot change their health care. Wow. But right now, whether people are vaccinated or unvaccinated, they are being treated differently in hospitals. Oh, absolutely. This is against federal law. Wow. So somebody needs to bring some litigation on that. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> so so uh, let, me, let me make sure I understand something here. This uh, Pfizer-Comirnaty vaccine that has been fully approved by the, by the FDA – um, is not being given at all in the United States because if a vaccine has full approval as opposed to emergency use authorization, then if there's some negative side effect, uh, then the vaccine company, the pharmaceutical company, is no longer protected from being sued against, right? Yeah, and it's very complicated. The laws around liability to the manufacturers of vaccines it's very complicated in all the intricacies, including whether it has been made to be a normal schedule with pediatric vaccines as well. So a lot to me, a lot of the push is trying to get this out of liability issues for the vaccine. And and this vaccine is like no other vaccines. If you look at the VAERS data for the last 30 years, um, we've been sort of putting along at, at sort of a standard uh, one in a million, one in two million deaths from vaccines and then a complication rate obviously much higher than that. But we've been sort of at this range, and I think most people are 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 comfortable with a one in a million risk of death. So right now the flu vaccine has a one in about six to seven million. Yeah. So every six to seven million doses, you might have one death associated with the vaccine. Um, right now with the latest VAERS data, which is always an us underestimation, um, we're, we're at least at one in every 20,000 to 30,000 doses um, is causing death. Wow. This now, is unheard of. This is unheard of. And I'm, as a pediatric cardiologist, and, you know, fortunately for, 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 for as a pediatrician, COVID is very, very mild for especially healthy children. So when I look at healthy children, and right now we're treating everybody the same. 
it re- regard, irrespective of age, irrespective of comorbidities, ir- irrespective of weight, um, whether you have diabetes, how old you are, we're treating everybody the same. We don't do that. We, we risk stratify. So those who have really high risk, we might do more treatments and other things. For children, if you have risks, let's say, with really major heart defects, this is what I know about, we treat you differently during RSV season. We give you a special antibody once a month for five months to keep you safe. We don't do that for all kids. We just do that for some of the kids. So right now, the risk for getting myocarditis for those, um, for those who are men under 40, getting myocarditis is higher with the vaccine than if you get COVID. If you look at the risk for children getting myocarditis, healthy children getting myocarditis from the vaccine, it's now about one in 2,200 kids. That was data out of Kaiser. Wow. Let me just explain for the listeners. Um, Dr. Milhone mentioned VAERS. That stands for Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, which, if I understand correctly, Dr. Milhone, is a totally voluntary kind of deal uh doctors hospitals don't have to report adverse events uh adverse reactions to uh to vaccines to this government system so personally i know of of, uh, emt who brought in two on our island who brought in two um anaphylaxis to vaccine reactions to the air and said are you going to report this to theirs and they said no I know um, two, uh, a, a couple of pharmacists who um, were talking to their, um, uh, their allergists who gave them the vaccine. I was asking them about um, adverse responses and, and, and severe allergic reactions to the vaccine. They said, well, we've had quite a few, but we tried to put it in bears. But every time we do, the system goes down. So we just gave up. Wow. So, so that's why we, we it, as right now, we would have taken off these vaccines um, we did this with the H1N1. We took it off very quickly when we saw it hit. What's, it's called what hits signal. Um, Peter McCullough talks inc- beautifully about this because of all his past experience. Um, but I know as a pediatrician, when we had rotavirus vaccine out and we put it out, and there was some concern it might cause a, a, a telescoping of the intestine inside of itself called intussusception. Um, and that when that happened 100 times, the vaccine was completely taken off the market, and we didn't start it back up again until about five years. Good we grief. well hit signal on these vaccines for adults and children, and it's, it is, it is, it, it, it's, it's something we can't understand in terms of why this hasn't been taken off the market, especially when the death rate is less than, really less than 1%, and we have treatment. Yeah, well, uh, uh, unless we go back to what we were talking about before, follow the money. There's something else at hand. Yeah, definitely. We're speaking with Dr. Kirk Milhone. He'll be one of the speakers of the Global COVID Summit presentation this Saturday in North Little Rock. If you're in central Arkansas, I highly recommend you join us. Tickets available at globalcovidsummit.org. Uh, Dr. Milhone, why is there such a push by the authorities to get five-year-olds vaccinated? Um, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, we, we sort of, you know, and that's where we, you know, if you listen to Malone, you listen to McCullough, um, your, your mind goes to very dark places. Yeah. Um, and it's not things that you like to think of that are happening in the United States of America. Right. Um, it's things that I was used to in totalitarian governments. 
that like you couldn't go unless you could do this and you have to form this line, all, all these different things that I would see in totalitarian governments. I thought, no, no, not in the U.S. We're not going to do that. We don't have corruption like those other horrible governments. Um, but I don't know why when you have the data and you look at it. Now, if people want, if you want to offer this to people with informed consent, okay. But to mandate it and now say children can't go to school, you can't go on, you can't go to, you know, you, you can't travel normally. We have restriction of travel, res- restriction of ed- education, restriction of commerce, um, all based on whether you have this. You're not allowed to work in certain places. And we're taking this down to the children who have the least risk. So let me explain, let me give you some perspective for COVID versus flu in children. The fortunate thing for us as a pediatrician, COVID is not bad in children. There are a few kids who have died and have had illnesses, but it is in, in terms of how it looks compared to flu, because flu kills a lot of children. So there was a beautiful study out of um, Turkey that looked at children who were, who were admitted for flu and those who were admitted for COVID, and it looked at both of them. And it looked at what was their chance of going to the ICU. And um, 19% of children with flu went to the ICU and 3% of uh, those with COVID went to the ICU. So 19% versus 3% flu to COVID. If you looked at how many needed to be on a ventilator, it was 16% for flu and 2% for COVID. We don't mandate flu vaccines for kids. We don't mandate flu for kids to go to school. So we're doing things that are absolutely unprecedented and actually without scientific, true scientific um, uh, foundation to um, take this really um, unheard of step of mandating it throughout the population. We're hearing anecdotal evidence out of um, anecdotes out of uh, New York City that if a fully vaccinated family goes to a restaurant, but they have children under five, they're kicked out because the four-year-old cannot, by law, be vaccinated. And the restaurant says, hey, sorry, it's, uh, you know, state health department rules. You know, I don't make the rules or, or maybe New York City rules, but whatever. You're not allowed to go to a restaurant with your children under five. And there's just, there, there's no way around it. What's even more egregious about this is that we have many studies to show that the amount of vertical transmission from children to adults is exceedingly rare. And that's because they have such good mucosal in their nose and mouth um, innate immunity. And so they, they, they take care of this virus very, very quickly. Um, and so they don't spread it a lot. I, what I'm seeing much more is adults spread it to kids. I'm not seeing kids spread it to adults. And so that's even worse when they're saying they're taking the lowest risk people and they're saying that, well, if you're vaccinated, you're safe. Well, we know if you're vaccinated, you're not safe. This is a straw man right now. But they're going to say the four per, for the four year old is at is at greater risk than the vaccinated. And, and depending on when someone's vaccinated, there's very clear data that there is an increased risk of infection, at least during the next two to three weeks after vaccination, as your um, CD4 um, and 8 cells drop. Yeah, well, what did you think a few months back when Dr. Rochelle Walensky, head of the CDC, all of a sudden did a 180 and said, um, based on uh, data we're getting out of Israel, it looks like people who are were vaccinated early, early are at an increased risk of developing a serious health complications. 
Um, I, I, you know, I, I look at all the international data and I'm not sure like what's, what's going on in our nation in terms of what we're looking at. The WHO has said we shouldn't use remdesivir. Um, they know this around the world. We know this is not a very good drug when it was tried on Ebola many years ago. Um, we're seeing significant complications with remdesivir, which is supposed to start viral replication and it's being used late. Um, I, I don't know what is driving our, um, our bodies that are meant to protect us. Um, but the information that's coming out of there is, it, 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 it often is at odds with what we're seeing around the world. And that's where, what we're having to do. We're having to go grab data from what's happening in Israel, what's happening in South America, what's happening in Korea, Japan. Um, and, and, but researchers are all around the world are realizing if they speak up, they're quick to be silenced. Yeah. Um, um, but I think that my concern is, is that we don't know all the long-term difficulties with early vaccine. Um, I'm, I'm seeing more and more vaccine injuries. So myself and another um, pediatrician, Ange- uh, Angelina Farella, um, we, we probably together have close to 50 years of pediatric experience, and we had never seen a vaccine injury in our experience until the COVID vaccines come out. And now I just saw two um, in the last week I've seen three and she's seen seven. And so, so for having almost 50 years of experience to see no vaccine injuries, and now we're seeing a handful in weeks, this is dramatic. Um, and, and some of these vaccine injuries aren't just like a temporary thing. They're long-term, and we still don't know what this, what this means for pregnancy, what it means for reproductivity, what, what it means for long-term. We just don't know. So we have to be honest about that. We, everything we say about it's safe has to have an asterisk. Everything we say about it works has to have an asterisk. Yeah. And so t- to mandate something that we have so many unknowns about, it, it's unconscionable to me. One of the things I've wondered about for a long time um, – so, Dr. Kerry Mullis, the guy who yeah. won the Nobel Prize for developing the PCR technique and mm-hmm. who sadly passed away a few months before the China virus uh, hit our shores, um, he always maintained that the PCR test is uh, the PCR technique is not a test to determine whether you are sick, whether you have a virus. It's it's much too uh, exacting, much too precise. And yet, as soon as COVID-19 um, rolls out here in the United States, you got the CDC, you got the FDA, you got the NIH, you got 50 state health departments saying, we don't care what the guy who developed this technique said, we're going to pretend this is definitely a foolproof test to determine whether you have this COVID-19 virus. What? Uh, and, and then and then the CDC announces halfway through 2021, uh by the way, end uh, of this year, we're gonna, you know, we're we're gonna stop using that. Can, can you wrap your mind around that one? Well, um, the PCR test is what we use when we're trying to detect very, very, very small levels of virus um, when we were digging for them. And so you're looking just little parts of DNA or RNA. Um, you send in little, little. Um, they're just like little templates that you're going after certain aspects that are very particular to a certain virus. So we're used to using this when we know exactly what we're looking for. But to do a screening test with this, um, its ability to be, it, it, it doesn't tell you what you want to know when you do a test when someone is sick is do you have it and can you spread it? 
necessary because you can no longer be infective to other people but still have lingering symptoms of a cold. Yeah. You can still have a raspy cough. You might still have some sinus congestion, but you're no longer infected. The, even the CDC says you might test positive for four months after having COVID, even though you're no longer infectious. And that's because of the level that they're testing at, the cycle, the threshold. It's typically in the 40s. If you want to look at people who are truly infectious, you have to drop that down below probably 30. 25 to 30 is probably where you need to be looking at it. Um, and so what we're doing is we're calling people a lot of false positives. There are po- false positives because you've already recovered from COVID. But now you have a positive test and you have to be quarantined again. So, yes, it's not a very good test for um, um, for differentiating infectious versus non-infectious, which you want to know. Um, and we, we really shouldn't be testing asymptomatic people. Right, right, because they tell us, you know, even if you never develop any symptoms, uh, you still have this disease and you can still – uh, infect somebody else, and they can get deathly ill with it. And if that's the case, if you're going to believe there's no such thing as a false positive and you don't have the symptoms, you never get the symptoms, but you still got it, and you better wear a mask to protect other people, well, then there'd never be a reason to take the mask off, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's insane. Masks are uh, a completely different discussion. Um, in 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 May in April of 2020, there was an um, an article out of the New England Journal of Medicine, um, it, and it was talking. It was from the group at Harvard that do public health and and the community health, and they were saying, "Well, we all know that masks don't work in, in the public, um, but what what we're asking is, is, do you need to wear them in the hospital if you're not actually directly taking care of COVID patients?" And their conclusion at the end of the study, this was in the New England Journal of Medicine in, in April of 2020, they said, well, this is at best a talisman. It's a good luck charm. Yeah. It makes people feel better, like they're doing something, but it really doesn't have a real effect. This, and people said, well, that's old news, that's flu, um, this is COVID. Well, then there was the Danish mask study where they took 6,000 people, gave half of them masks, surgical masks that there was changed twice or they, they were showed how to take it on. They had a new one every day and they looked to see whether it made a difference and it didn't. Yeah. But still where are all the people who are concerned about our earth and our landfills and all this plastic that's being generated? Oh, absolutely. Because you know, you got these billions of masks all over the place, uh, just clogging up all kinds of stuff. It's it's insane, it's yeah. insane. Uh, well, Doctor Milhone, I'm I'm sure we've kept you a, a, a lot longer than either one of us expected, but you're you're just putting out such compelling, interesting information. Can can I ask you one one more question before we let you go? Sure. And it's sure. it's it's a two parter. What do most people not know about COVID nineteen that they should know, and what do most people not understand about the vaccines that they should understand? The, the first thing is, is that you should get early treatment and the majority of people survive. Over 99% of people survive. Wow. First thing for COVID. Second thing for vaccines is there are real risks, more so than any really other vaccine that we've had out before. 
and that we still don't even know all the risks. But if you look at it, what's happening is that, that AstraZeneca was already moved because of some blood clots. Now we see J&J is not being recommended in women because of excess blood clots. Moderna is not being recommended in, in 30-year-old and below in Scandinavian countries because of myocarditis. Um, we know the second shot of Pfizer has an increased risk of myocarditis in healthy children. Um, so there are real risks to this, and I'm seeing very little benefit from the vaccines. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, it, it's, it's been a great honor to have you on, sir. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel and Dr. Kirk A. Milhone. Um, and we're looking forward to seeing you this Saturday at the World COVID Summit at Apostolic Church, Landers Road in North Little Rock. Again, uh, I tell my listeners, if you're in the area, plan to join us, go to global, pardon me, go to world. I'm getting it wrong. It's not world, it's global. <laughs> global COVID global Summit. Global COVID Summit. Go to globalcovidsummit.org. One of these and I di- really want the skeptics to come. Yeah. Bring your best papers. Let's have a good scientific discussion. Let's have a robust discussion of the data. Please bring your data. We don't want this to be preaching to the choir. We, we want a good scientific discussion. Absolutely. Globalcovidsummit.org is where you get your, uh, your tickets for the Saturday. Uh, Dr. Milhone, it's, uh, it's been quite an honor having you on, sir, and we certainly look forward to seeing you uh, uh, this Saturday, and, and God bless you, and we wish you Godspeed. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. Thanks, Doc. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. i tell you what. i tell you what. There's a lot of stuff going on, and there are a lot of people who are telling you you're crazy for listening to the truth. I wonder how many of these people are the same folks that would have told you back in 2009, well, you got a problem with Obamacare? It's going to, be, it's going to make your health care more affordable. Really? Really? All right, let's go down the checklist. Did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, actually make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? Well, I get just the just the plan for you, just the idea, just the website. MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. That's where you need to go to save money on your health insurance. MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. You go to that website, big, bold letters, affordable plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums. Personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. Man, such a deal. You click on the button that says schedule call now, and you get a free consultation with my friend Art Wilborn, who will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. On top of which... Unlike some of those Obamacare plans with MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, you don't have to cover things that would uh, uh, deeply insult or contradict your deeply held religious beliefs. You're not going to get a plan where you have to cover 
abortion or transgender surgery and that kind of garbage. Save money on your insurance. Affordable plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums. Personalized health coverage. Low to no deductible. No co-pays at myfamilyhealthplan.com. You book a free consultation there. Art Wilborn will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance at myfamilyhealthplan.com. You'll be glad you did. All right. Wow. What a great conversation with Dr. Milhone just a few minutes ago. And I sure hope you'll join us this Saturday. Global covidsummit.org. If you can't remember that, uh, then maybe you can just uh, go to our website. Go to docwashingshow.com and we we link to it there. Um, I uh, <laughs> I appreciate all the uh, the comments on the on the Podbean app today. Um, let's see. Oh, one one fellow said, "Do you think your liberal Doctor Tim will show up?" Um. Over seventy percent of the people who listen to our live stream slash podcast every day are from outside Arkansas. Uh, when I did a local talk radio show in Little Rock, Arkansas, there was a guy who used to call up, um, a liberal guy who said he was a doctor. And um, the last time he called, he started cussing on the air, so we had to <laughs> we had to put him on the the no fly zone, the no call zone, whatever it was. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, who, who knows? Who knows? Um, I want to do a little, a little update on January 6th. We had Nick Searcy on yesterday about his movie, Capital Punishment, themovie.com, uh, which is about the fact that the government's been lying to us about everything, about what happened January 6th. Of course, tomorrow is a one-year anniversary. Um, my friend Julie Kelly is keeping track of one of the trials that's going on today. And so I just thought I would give you a little update on that. Um, because what we have seen over and over and over again is that a lot of these people cannot afford an attorney. Even if they have a really good attorney back home, uh, that attorney has to be licensed to practice in Washington, D.C. So these people wind up with um, wind up with uh, public defense attorneys licensed to practice in Washington, D.C. Most of them tend to be liberal and uh, don't really seem to be making the case for their clients. And so you have radical prosecutors at the Biden Justice Department telling radical judges, hey, 
this person needs to be denied bail because he's a danger to the community because he agrees with Donald Trump. Wow. Wow. So there's a a sentencing hearing going on today. And uh, Ryan J. Riley, senior justice reporter at something called the Huffington Post, says Judge Chutkin said this was a violent attempted overthrow of the government and it almost succeeded. Now, I mentioned yesterday a tweet in which somebody said, these people really think that some unarmed people who uh, got into the Capitol building could have overthrown the government by being unarmed and milling around in the Capitol building. What would that overthrow of the government have looked like? What does that mean? Capture the flag? Um, members of Congress certainly were not at any kind of risk, not like the Republicans were a few years ago on a baseball field where a Bernie Sanders supporter tried to kill as many of them as possible. Simply getting into the U.S. Capitol building and milling around, something that protesters have been doing for many, many years, according to this Judge Chutkin, was a violent attempted overthrow of the government that almost succeeded. Remarkable. So, my friend Julie Kelly says, meanwhile, over at the loony bin known as the D.C. District Court, Obama appointee, Judge Chutkin, having another fact-free tirade from the bench, the defendant pleaded guilty to parading in the Capitol. Parading in the Capitol. A Class B misdemeanor that this court usually never handles. So then, Judge Chutkin says, I can tell you that there are many people that I see in my courtroom all the time who, were they in that position, would have been lying there shot on the floor. Julie Kelly says, oh, it's totally normal. Judge Chutkin says the defendants walked into the Capitol with a sense of entitlement. The judge said, you've had privileges that many people who come before me don't have. Julie Kelly says, straight-up racism from this black judge, unreal. And then she mentions, by the way, Judge Chutkin is from Jamaica, man. Went to George Washington for undergrad and Penn Law School. She's married to another judge. Wow. So that is what passes for justice. That is what passes for justice in the United States of America. Now, oh, this is alarming. Ted Cruz on C-SPAN today talking about last January 6th. Let's see, uh, let's see what this is. Solemn anniversary this week. Uh, and it is an anniversary of a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol where we saw the men and women of law enforcement demonstrate incredible courage, incredible bravery, 
risk their lives uh, to defend the men and women who serve in this capital. We are grateful for that courage. We appreciate uh, the selfless sacrifice uh, of the men and women who, who keep us safe. Is there anything in that 29 seconds that Ted Cruz just said that's not a lie? January 6th last year was a trespassing event, violently violently cracked down by police. And Ted Cruz says it was a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol. Ted Cruz should be ashamed of himself. That's a lie, sir. That's a lie. Ted Cruz should be ashamed of himself. And I deeply regret ever having supported him when he ran for president. Um, uh, I don't know if you saw what he said recently. Uh, there's a tradition in the Republican Party, usually the guy who finishes second in the uh, presidential nomination battle winds up being the nominee four years later. So apparently he wants to uh, join the proud tradition of Mitt Romney, John McCain, Bob Dole. This is uh, outrageous to me. This is outrageous. Emily Brooks, reporter over DC Examiner, has the quote from Ted Cruz. He said, we are approaching a solemn anniversary this week, and it's an anniversary of a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol. He says, it's also worth asking, what could have prevented the breach of the Capitol? What could have prevented the riot getting as far as it did? He's just straight up lying. Straight up lying. Now, there's some commentary here. Look, no, 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 no. I'm not going to play the go-along-to-get-along game. I'm not going to. You know, I, uh, I burn bridges when I have to. Because I'm going to call it as I see it. Uh, I burned bridges with uh, Tom Cotton, junior senator from uh, Arkansas, when he stabbed us and Trump in the back. And I'm burning a bridge with Ted Cruz right now. I couldn't care less. Uh, Yossi Gestetner, over at the... uh, Orthodox Jewish Public Affairs Council has some thoughts in the last few minutes about Ted Cruz saying last January 6th was a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol. Mr. Gestetner says the minute you call it a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol, You lose most of your standing when complaining about the Justice Department, Democrats, and media because they have different views than you on how to handle a, quote, violent terrorist attack on the Capitol, unquote. This is Ted Cruz. Cruz, the fighter. 
the fighter. Ha! Violent terrorist attack in the Capitol. GOP, I guess that stands for Group of Putzes. So not just uh, Mitch McConnell, minority leader in the United States Senate, it's the fabric of the Republican Party. Cruz didn't mention Black Lives Matter or the insurrection at the White House last year that forced President Trump into the bunker and wounded 60, 60 Secret Service personnel. The Republican Party is a systemic clown show. Ted Cruz accepts the narrative that lawmakers were about to be lynched despite the fact that many hundreds calmly walked in the Capitol taking selfies and not moving rope lines. It was mostly calm where the police were not at hand. Bloodthirsty terrorists leaving things mostly neat? Ha! It's very possible that Ted Cruz used this language to help bury Trump for 2024 since Ted Cruz sees himself as next in line for the nomination. However, as 2008 and 2012 have shown, Democrats always use former bad Republicans as a stick against current ones. For example, George W. Bush didn't even show up to the 2008 convention due to a hurricane, sure, totally. And was not a factor of the 2012 convention, but Obama-Biden used Bush against Romney. Disowning fellow Republicans with Democrat narratives harms the Republicans. Besides, Ted Cruz is blamed by many Democrats for January 6th. This is outrageous. Let me play it for you again. Solemn anniversary this week. Uh, and it is an anniversary of a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol where we saw the men and women of law enforcement demonstrate incredible courage, incredible bravery, uh, risk their lives uh, to defend the men and women who serve in this Capitol. We are grateful for that courage. We appreciate uh, the selfless sacrifice uh, of the men and women who, who keep us safe. Now, I'd like to say... that he has just squandered any opportunity to ever run for president again. But who knows? Uh, People have short memories, and by 2024, uh, who knows if they'll remember this. But it is an outrage. It is an outrage. Perhaps Julie Kelly says it the best about Ted Cruz's lying just now about January 6, 2021. Not just embarrassing and cowardly and an act of obvious groveling, a total lie. Ted Cruz is mimicking Christopher Ray and Joe Biden and Merrick Garland. He just gave... Merrick Garland's prosecutors more ammunition in charging and sentencing motions. Senate Republicans are beyond worthless. Wow. Wow. I got to tell you, um, I'm furious with Ted Cruz. Furious. 
I hope somebody primaries him. When is he? Uh, when is Ted Cruz up for re-election? Let's take a look at this. Probably not till twenty twenty six. That would be my guess. Oh, twenty twenty four. Twenty twenty four. He should be primaried just on what he did today. Just on what he did today. Absolutely outrageous. It's a lie. He knows it's a lie. No, no, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I get it. I understand. I understand that a lot of people in Washington are in their own little bubble and they don't understand what's going on. But uh, there's no excuse for this. There's no excuse for this. You know, I used to uh, bristle at the idea. Libertarians used to say, oh, Republicans and Democrats, there's no difference. So it's a unit party. I used to bristle at that, but... Uh, 80 Republicans in the U.S. House voted with all the Democrats recently. At first, I thought it was to uh, set up a vaccination database, the CDC. And a uh, representative for one of those Republicans, French Hill, U.S. representative from central Arkansas, complained, no, it's not to set up a vaccine database. It's merely to strengthen the one that we already have. Oh, okay. They voted for $450 million to make it easier for the feds and the state health departments to track the vaccination status of every one of us. Not one Democrat in the U.S. House voted against it. Eighty U.S. House Republicans voted for it. And they need to be primaried. Fortunately, one of those rhinos, well, a lot of the rhinos are being primary, but uh, French Hill, who if you're outside Arkansas, you probably don't know who he is. He represents Little Rock, the uh, central Arkansas area and the U.S. House. He's being primaried by a retired Army colonel named uh, Conrad Reynolds. If you want to support him, Website is electconrad.com. Ted Cruz has beclowned himself today. I, I'm sorry, I can't let this go. A violent terrorist attack on the Capitol? It's a lie. He knows it's a lie. Ted Cruz is a liar. And you can quote me on that. Outrageous. Oh, by the way, this uh, Judge Chutkin, this Obama appointee, who said January 6th was a violent attempted overthrow of the government. This is the same Obama-appointed judge that let Imran Awan free and whose husband was appointed judge after he donated to Obama's campaign. 
Imran Awan. Now, that's a familiar name. Wasn't that one of those IT guys who uh, who compromised all kinds of stuff? He, he, he was being used by a bunch of Democrats in the in Congress. Yeah. And turned out um Yeah, let me take a look at that. From Philip Giraldi over the American Conservative dot com August third, twenty seventeen. On July 25th, 2017, Pakistani-American IT specialist Imran Awan was arrested at Dulles Airport for bank fraud while he was allegedly fleeing to Pakistan. The reports predictably produced some press coverage before the story died, yet the speed at which the news vanished has prompted some observers to suggest there might actually be something more to the disappearance than the operation of the normal media reporting cycle. A number of conservative websites, including Breitbart, have been sounding the alarm over a possible cover-up that just might even be linked to what we are now calling Russiagate. To be sure, the tale is a strange one. With plenty of unsavory links, 37-year-old Imran Awan, as well as his wife and two brothers, Abid and Jamal, worked as IT administrators for nearly 30 congressmen, all Democrats, including then-chair of the DNC, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. They did not have security clearances, and it's not even certain that they were in any way checked out before being hired. At one point, they brought into the House of Representatives as a colleague one Rao Abbas, someone to whom they owed money and who might have had no qualifications at all to work IT. Abbas wound up working in the office of Representative Patrick Murphy, was at the time a member of the House Intelligence Committee, as well as for Representative Theo Deutsch, he was paid a quarter of a million dollars. The process of granting security clearances to congressional staff is not exactly transparent, but it's not unlike clearances for other government agencies. The office seeking the clearance for a staff member must put in a request. Some kind of investigation follows, and the applicant must sign a non-disclosure agreement before the authorization is granted. Sometimes Congress pushes the process by demanding that his staff have access above and beyond the normal need to know. March 2016, for example, eight Democrats in the House Intelligence Committee requested that their staffs be given access to top-secret, sensitive, compartmented information. It's not known if the Awans, who were working for several committee members, would have been involved, but BuzzFeed, in its initial reporting and the investigation of the Awan family, repeated the concerns of a congressman that the suspects might have had access to the House of Representatives' entire computer network. Remember the story? The Awans billed Congress for more than $4 million between 2004 and 2016, a sum that has been reported to be three or four times higher than the norm for government contractor IT specialists performing similar work. The considerable level of overbilling has not been explained by the congressmen involved. In spite of all that income, 
Imran Awan declared bankruptcy in 2010, claiming losses of $1 million on a car business that he owned in Falls Church, Virginia. The business was named Cars International, Cars International A, abbreviated on its business cards as CIA. As of February 2016, the Awans came under suspicion for having set up an operation to steal and resell government-owned computer equipment. It was also believed that they had somehow obtained access to House of Representatives computer databases as well as to other information in the internal computer system that they were not normally authorized to work on as part of their duties. The Capitol Hill police began an investigation and quietly alerted the congressmen involved that there might be a problem. Most stopped employing the Awan family, but Debbie Wasserman Schultz, then head of the DNC, kept Imran Awan on the payroll until the day after he was actually arrested. Now, some of those defending the Awans, to include Wasserman Schultz and the family lawyer, have insisted that he and his family were the victims of an anti-Muslim right-wing smear job, though there's no actual evidence to suggest that's the case. They also claim the bank fraud in which he obtained a home equity loan for $165,000 from the Congressional Federal Credit Union based on a house that he owned and claimed to live in in Lorton, Virginia, was largely a misunderstanding. It was described as by his lawyer, Chris Gowan, a Clinton family confidant, as something that was extremely minor. It turned out there was a tenant in the house, an ex-Marine and his naval officer wife, who were very suspicious about a large quantity of what appeared to be government-sourced computer equipment and supplies, all material that had been left behind by the Owans. They contacted the FBI, which discovered hard drives that appeared to have been deliberately destroyed. The FBI is certainly interested in the theft of government computer... Oh, gee. You know, once we talk about the FBI, I just... Uh I just kind of lose uh, interest. But anyway, this judge, this judge who is lecturing January 6th defendants, let Imran Awan go. You know what I'm saying, Holmes? Let him go. Uh, Julie Kelly just posted something else on Twitter. The Obama judge, Judge Shutkin, today in open court says this was a violent attempted overthrow of the government and it almost succeeded. Ted Cruz said we're approaching a solemn anniversary this week and it's an anniversary of a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol. They're both lying. As Julie Kelly says, there's no difference between Ted Cruz and the Obama judge. I'm furious. I'm furious. I'll tell you what. It's outrageous. It's outrageous. Somebody just put up here a better French Hill than um, Joyce Elliott. Yeah, I, I thought that myself until French Hill voted 
$450 million to make it easier for the feds and the uh, state health departments to keep track of our vaccination status. I mean, how would it be any different had the Democrat Joyce Elliott been elected? Anyway, this uh, this Ted Cruz man. This Ted Cruz, as Julie Kelly points out, several Texans have been held behind bars for months under pretrial detention orders. Ted Cruz hasn't said a word. And now he just called his constituents terrorists. This Ted Cruz, man. We thought he was the real deal. The great Jordan Schachtel over on Twitter says, The January 6th pipe bomber is the ultimate litmus test. Once you accept the probability that the guy who placed the pipe bombs in front of the DNC and the RNC the night before January 6th is a Fed himself. Your entire outlook on the state of our nation must accommodate the reality of an administrative state that is actively seeking to destroy the principles of the American founding. They got video of the guy. Right? They got video of him. They've arrested other people by geofencing their cell phones. But they can't get this guy. By the way, by the way, if I may, I didn't realize it at the time. I wasn't a big Trump fan when he ran the first time. And I was uh, offended. They referred to Ted Cruz as Lion Ted. But boy, was he right. Boy, was he right. Because uh, Ted Cruz is one of the floor of the United States Senate today and lied about his uh, fellow Americans. This is outrageous, y'all. This is absolutely outrageous. He'll never live this down. A violent terrorist attack on the Capitol. Outrageous. 2024 can't come soon enough. And if somebody primaries Ted Cruz, I will uh, contribute to that campaign. I've I've sworn him off. I can't can't deal with Ted Cruz anymore. No matter what he says or does from here on out, he has really, really, really gone over the line with us. 
Give me a second. I collect myself. You're listening to the Doc Washburn Show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. You can now listen live weekdays, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time at docwashburnshow.com. Podcast available at docwashburnshow.com and for download at Spotify, iTunes, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. We are on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact. Contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. Uh, let me tell you how uh, conservative talk show hosts are supposed to handle stuff like this. They're supposed to ignore it. And that's uh, whether on radio or on TV, on Fox News. They're supposed to ignore it. I would be shocked if anybody on Fox News tonight calls Ted Cruz to account for what he said today. Man, I hope they prove me wrong. This 29 seconds right here. Solemn anniversary this week, uh, and it is an anniversary of a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol where we saw the men and women of law enforcement demonstrate incredible courage incredible bravery, uh, risk their lives uh, to defend the men and women who serve in this capital. We are grateful for that courage. We appreciate uh, the selfless sacrifice uh, of the men and women who, who keep us safe. So uh, I'm going to give Ted Cruz a new nickname. We're going to call him Ted Pelosi Cruz. He's no different. He's no different. You know, I remember back in uh, 2015 when he gave a one-hour speech from the floor of the United States Senate about how people elect you to do one thing and you get to Washington and you're told by the leaders, no, that's just the promises we make. We don't actually follow through. You know, we got a different agenda when we get here to the Hill. He just thought that was awful. Well, clearly, Ted Cruz has joined the deep state. He's joined 100% the country club rhino Republican Party on the Hill. And it's... uh, It's just an outrage. It's just an outrage. I wonder what other people are saying about Ted Cruz today. Let's, uh, let's check. Pathetic. Ted Cruz shredded by Maryland Democrat for sordid claims about impeaching Biden for no reason. Okay, fine, whatever. But what about what he said today? What about what he said today? It'll take people a, a few moments to, uh, to get up to speed on that. Man, oh man, oh man, am I hot about this.
And commenters here on the Podbean app, one says, Cruz is just another opportunistic uh, politician. Another one says, unfortunately, most Republicans probably agree with what Cruz said. Oh, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt that for a minute. All right, let me... uh, I got I to gotta cheer up. I got to cheer up. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door. Anywhere in the continental United States of America, Red River Your Way brings you today's tweet of the day from a guy named uh, who goes by the name Rising Serpent. He says, anyone else notice how Democrats had no problem blaming Glenn Youngkin, who hasn't even assumed office yet as governor of Virginia, for the horrific mishandling of the Virginia I-95 situation, but not one of them demanded to know what... Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg was going to do about it, or was doing about it. Now, let me let me let me tell you what this is about. Hundreds, perhaps even thousands, of people stuck on I ninety five in Northern Virginia, right outside of Washington D.C. because of ice. And they're stuck there for a couple of days. And the governor of Virginia, Ralph Blackface KKK Northam, an old-style Democrat, did nothing. Didn't call it the National Guard, did nothing. Blamed the people for not paying attention to warnings about bad weather and just let them sit for a couple of days, including a Democrat United States Senator, Tim Kaine, and liberals all over social media were blaming a guy named Glenn Youngkin, who recently got elected governor of Virginia, who hasn't taken office yet. Well, last I checked, interstates are federal property, and nobody was concerned about what the U.S. Transportation Secretary was doing. Nobody gave Biden any grief about it. Um, I hope nobody died. Now, if they'd all been electric cars, somebody would have. Because these people were having to make the decision about in sub-freezing temperatures how long to keep their cars running, try not to run out of gas, try to figure out how to use the bathroom, Try to figure out how to get some water, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So again, today's Tweet of the Day brought to you by Red River Your Way. Anyone else notice how Democrats had no problem blaming Glenn Youngkin, who hasn't even assumed office as governor yet, for the horrific mishandling of the Virginia I-95 situation, but not one of them demanded to know what Pete Buttigieg was doing about it. Yeah. I noticed. 
I noticed. Oh, you know what? This one, this one should have been the tweet of the day. New York Post has an article here. North Korea claims Kim Jong-un's dad invented the burrito. <laughs> and uh, Ben Shapiro's outfit, DailyWire.com, responded, well, it's common knowledge by now. Hey, hey, there's your real tweet of the day. <laughs> Thank you, RedRiverYourWay.com, for sponsoring the tweet of the day. They believe in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice online and get it delivered to your front door anywhere in the United States of America, the continental U.S. All right, fantastic. Oh, man, that... um, That Ted Cruz deal, man, that uh, that kind of took the wind out of me, you know? I mean, that's, uh, man. Now, for my New York listeners, because you have listeners all over the country, This dropped at the New York Post last night. It's an op-ed piece by Bob McManus. Manhattan's progressive new district attorney, Alvin Bragg, just gave a green light for anarchy. He says, old, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. New, if you can't do the time, Alvin Bragg will be there for you. That much just became clear as a newly minted Manhattan district attorney issued marching orders to his hundreds of assistants and support staff by saying, let's do our very best to keep people out of jail, kids, and let's really, really not sweat the small stuff. Okay, Bragg didn't actually say that, but it pretty faithfully paraphrases the guts of a staff memo Bragg issued Monday, the first business day of his four-year term. Specifically, Bragg says his office will not seek a carceral sentence for anything short of murder or deadly assault, carceral being progressive doublespeak for prison. Also, he says minor crime won't be prosecuted at all. In other words, jail is to be reserved for axe murderers and their ilk, armed robbers and heavyweight drug dealers are to be minimally inconvenienced. And just forget about the quality of life law enforcement that was the beating heart of the Giuliani era rescue of New York City decades ago. Victims, let them hunker down and hope for the best. No place for them in Manhattan anymore. And Mayor Eric Adams, the new mayor in New York City, can just forget about his off-promise crackdown on the city's dangerously rising crime rates because there's no point picking up criminals if you have no place to put them off somewhere Wearing a sardonic smile, it must be billionaire George Soros, the arch-anarchist who's been lavishing big bucks on progressive DA candidates for years now and who kicked in and reported $1 million to Alvin Bragg's campaign last year. Soros-backed DAs reign in San Francisco, the smash-and-grab retail robbery capital of America, 
and Philadelphia, a city that posted more murders in New York last year, despite having one-fifth of New York City's population. Now Soros has hit the jackpot. Alvin Bragg holds America's foremost local law enforcement office in terms of volume, influence, and prestige. In other words, whatever it is that Soros has in mind, Bragg both owes him and is perfectly positioned to oblige him and on the greatest stage in America. That's not a comforting thought, especially if you're still in New York City. At first glance, Bragg wouldn't seem to be Soros' type, a former state and federal prosecutor who was brought up in Harlem during the worst of the Dinkins-era crack violence, Mayor Dinkins, David Dinkins back in the day. He is, in other words, a fellow who should know better. Back then, crack turf war-related bloodshed was endemic, and the casualties were not limited to dealers. Mothers put their babies to bed in bathtubs to protect them from stray bullets coming through walls. As bad as crime is today, it was far worse then, and no reasonable person wants to go back to that. And yet here is Alvin Bragg formally instructing a small army of subordinates to disregard all the lessons learned as New York City rescued itself in the process demonstrating that crime-paralyzed cities are not inevitable. Many lessons were learned back then, but the most important was that holding criminals accountable for their actions swiftly and unapologetically is key to safe streets. Turnstile jumping isn't mugging, and armed robbery isn't murder, but each in its own way is an offense against public order that simply cannot be ignored if cities are to function. And by the way, who is Alvin Bragg or any DA unilaterally to decide which laws are to be enforced and which are not? Prosecutors must be allowed discretion, of course, but they don't get to rip out whole sections of the penal code based on personal notions of what's just and what isn't, on a whim. Alvin Bragg's staff memo reeks of ignorance, arrogance, and contempt for the law-abiding. It also puts him in direct conflict with new mayor Eric Adams, who was a cop during the crack wars, who therefore knows what's up and who has promised to make crime a priority. Mayor Adams probably didn't expect Manhattan's new district attorney to be an obstacle to safe streets, but there you have it. He is. Ball's in your court, Mr. Mayor. Best of luck. I got to tell you, for our listeners in New York City, if you're still in New York City, why? Why on earth? I mean, I can't imagine. I can't imagine having stayed in New York City. Doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Now, we talked about the I-95 traffic jam a little bit earlier. Uh, Kamala Harris, masquerading as vice president, tweeted yesterday about the U.S. moving again as hundreds of people were stranded on I-95 in Virginia. A tweet yesterday from Kamala Harris's official VP account praised the recently passed $1.2 trillion infrastructure spending package at the same time a snowstorm walloped the region 
causing a tractor-trailer pileup that had people stuck in cars on I-95 overnight. But Kamala Harris's tweet said, because of the bipartisan infrastructure law, America is moving again. That's what infrastructure is all about, getting people moving. She got responses like, well, except for I-95 or Virginia. What a joke. What a joke. I hope we'll be allowed to have uh, elections in November of this year and November of 2024. And I hope the swing states are in the process of changing their laws to uh, keep people from cheating. Because... uh, You know, this whole country has been around now for uh well, I guess for four ways four years away from two hundred fiftieth uh anniversary of seventeen seventy six. And I don't want to just see the whole thing go down the drain and China rule us, you know. Call me crazy. Oh, what's this? Leaked Biden plan would house violent men in women's prison cells. Oh, what could go wrong? This is over the Federalists. I'm not going to call him president. He's the usurper. He stole it. I'll never call him president. Usurper Joe Biden is preparing to give every rapist and molester in federal prison a get-out-of-jail-free card, specifically... Biden is offering to transfer any and all male criminals to women's prisons. All the men will have to do is say they feel like a woman, and the Biden administration will take them at their word. This policy may be the worst part of a proposed executive order on law enforcement, a draft of which was obtained by the Federalist. Oh, by the way, they link to the draft. Most of the proposal is devoted to, if not defunding the police, at least disarming and disabling them. But buried toward the end of the extensive planned action to get soft on crime is a small paragraph of anodyne bureaucratic language that orders the U.S. Attorney General to, quote, within 30 days of the date of this order, begin the process of identifying any necessary changes to the Bureau of Prisons Transgender Offender Manual to enable Bureau of Prisons to designate individuals to facilities in accordance with their gender identity, unquote. In short, under this executive order, the federal government will house criminals based on subjective, self-declared gender identity rather than biological sex. Male rapists, child molesters, and other sexual criminals will be allowed to live in women's prisons And because the transgender ideology embraced by the Biden administration claims gender identity is purely internal, they will be allowed in regardless of whether they still possess fully functional male genitalia. This move toward co-ed prisons will result in male sexual predators exploiting the system in order to abuse and rape female prisoners. We know this because it has already happened in places these proposals have been enacted. For example, Caroline Downey over National Review recently published a piece 
detailing alleged rapes and sexual assaults within the Washington State prison system, which has begun housing men in female prisons. The story suggests that such incidents are being covered up, presumably due to prison officials eager to placate their political overlords. The same problems have arisen in California, which houses male prisoners who claim a female gender identity in women's prisons. In response to reports of rape and abuse, the feminist Women's Liberation Front, which rejects transgender ideology, has filed a federal lawsuit against the state of California. As Brittany Bernstein reports at National Review, plaintiff Crystal Gonzalez says she was sexually assaulted by a biological male who was transferred to Central California Women's Facility under the law. According to the lawsuit, when Gonzalez filed the complaint and requested to be housed away from men, the prison's response called her alleged attacker a, quote, transgender woman with a penis, unquote. Perhaps no phrase sums up the current state of liberal ideology as woman with a penis. In the United Kingdom, placing the phallically endowed in women's prisons has produced such horrific results that even the leftists at the UK Guardian admit that some mistakes were made. But that has not been enough to stop the trend, and now female prisoners are being threatened with extra time for calling transgender inmates he or him. Now... Joe Biden and his officials are eager to follow these examples. The Democrat Party, along with most of our nation's ruling class, has embraced transgender ideology and is eager to enforce it. The public, meanwhile, is realizing that what was sold is just being nice as Bruce becoming Caitlin extends to transitioning children, allowing men to dominate women's sports and now allowing male rapists and murderers to write their own ticket into women's prisons. Now, remember this this thing about transitioning children. I'll get back to that in a minute. As these examples show, transgender ideology is misogynistic. The heart of this misogyny is transgenderism's hatred for the biological reality of human sexual dimorphism. Thus, transgenderism disdains, and tries to erase recognition of the special vulnerability that women bear in consequence of human physical embodiment. Women are, on average, physically weaker than men. Furthermore, human reproduction imposes much heavier burdens and risks on women than it does on men. Consequently, civilization consists to a very great extent of training women to, of training men to treat women as people, not as prey. It is the mark of civilization that even women who have forfeited their freedom are still protected from male sexual predation when they're in jail. Such efforts are always imperfect, but it is a def- definitive sign of a relapse into savagery to l- deliberately allow male criminals access to female prisoners. This indifference to female vulnerability demonstrates the casual cruelty of transgender ideologues who are too enraptured with intellectual fantasies to be bothered by the real suffering they inflict. Also, contrary to his campaign promises to be a moderate return to normalcy president, Biden is governing as a hard left ideologue. 
there was a time when putting men into women's prisons would have been the punchline to a bad Biden campaign trail joke. Now it's his policy, and if it is enacted, some of the most vulnerable women in our nation will suffer for it. That is Nathaniel Blake, senior contributor to the Federalist and postdoctoral fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center over the Federalist.com, article entitled, Leaked Biden Plan Would House Violent Men in Women's Prison Cells. Why does that not surprise me? Does it surprise me in the least? Doesn't surprise me in the least. This Biden guy, you know, he's a he's a really bad guy. So we go back to um, Ted Cruz announcing today that what happened last January six was a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol. The great Jeff Carlson over the EpicTimes.com. said, if you harbored any remaining hopes that the GOP actually cared for its base, now is the time to get over them. Wow. Wow. Yep, good old Lion Ted. Good old Lion Ted. From now on, I guess that's what we're going to have to call him. Trump was right all along. Lion Ted. Violent terrorist attack on the Capitol. That's a pretty good response. Lion Ted Cruz just announced he has no intention of ever being president despite probably trying. Now, let's not forget, Ted Cruz did blame Trump for the violence at a Chicago rally during the 2016 primary. Just so you know. See, so what I want to know from Ted Cruz is, does he believe Ashley Babbitt was a terrorist? You know, the woman that was murdered by the cop. In the Capitol? On January 6th? It's outrageous. It's outrageous. All right, we talk a lot about um, the government. We talk a lot about the healthcare establishment. And it is an honor, it's a blessing to me to be able to share with you the best kept secret in American healthcare. Let me ask something. Do you have migraines? Do you have neck pain, back pain, vertigo? Okay, look at yourself in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Do you naturally lean your head to the left or the right? Because that's how it feels normal. If the answer to any of these is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. 
That's how I got rid of my migraines and neck pain. And your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, or C1, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for that atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, your circulatory system, your reproductive system, yes, even your digestive system. And it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo. Do yourself a favor. If you're in central Arkansas, you can call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted. If you're outside central Arkansas, because people listen from all over the country, Go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor to see if you can find one near you. Um, You won't be disappointed. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people that we know. And uh, it is the best-kept secret in American health care. Turn my power on. Dot com. See if uh, see if they can help you. They help a lot of other people. Free consultation, nothing to lose. Let me get back to this thing about Ted Cruz saying what happened last January sixth with a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol. My buddy Rising Serpent said, "Just remember that one guy driving a car in Waukesha, Wisconsin, caused infinite times more injury and death." than the hordes of people on January 6th, and yet not a single Republican or Democrat has called him a terrorist. Remember? The Christmas parade, Waukesha, Wisconsin? The guy hurt like 60 people, killed six, including an eight-year-old? Black Lives Matter propaganda all over social media? And no one in Congress, Democrat or Republican, calls this guy a terrorist. No one. No one. Here's another response to Ted Cruz calling January 6th last year a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol. The great Yvonne Burton over there on Twitter. I'm going to have to follow her. She says, no mention of Capitol Police opening the doors, feds taking down barriers, Lieutenant Michael Byrd killing Ashley Babbitt, police causing the death of Ro- uh, of Roseanne Boyland, no mention of Ray Epps and Stuart Rhodes, federal agent provocateurs. Like, why is Ted Cruz doing the bidding of the left today? I'll tell you what, man. Here's somebody said, this is why you can't trust the Republican Party and why Ted Cruz will never be president. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's up, y'all. That's what's up. I uh, guess I shouldn't be shocked, but I am. Again, the great Yossi Gestetner said, 
Ted Cruz's latest line cements my claim that Republicans are not idiots because this could be cured if they see their wrong ways enough. It is the op- op- it is the opposite. Idiots tend to be Republicans, generation after generation, and you can't fix stupid. Well, you know, the old saying, the Democrats are the evil party, Republicans are the stupid party. What's wrong with this guy? Yeah, Ted Cruz should be asked if he thinks Ashley Babbitt was a terrorist. That's what he should be asked. Was Ashley Babbitt a terrorist, Ted Cruz? What about Roseanne Boylan? Was she a terrorist? Huh? How about all those uh, constituents of yours? By the way, Texas is our number two state for downloads of our podcast. How about all Ted's uh, constituents that are being held without bail and called terrorists? I got to tell you. Lion Ted Cruz. Lion Ted. Which sounds better, Lion Ted or Ted Pelosi Cruz? Either way, it's pathetic. It's pathetic. Nobody's been charged with terrorism. Nobody's been charged with insurrection. Nobody's been charged with sedition. Maybe uh, Ted Cruz needs to change parties. Just a reminder, 150 police officers were injured Oh, wait. Wait, I thought he was talking about the Black Lives Matter stuff going on last year. No, this this knucklehead is talking about January 6th. <laughs> He's making stuff up. A lot of police officers were injured in the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, the um, When Antifa attacked the White House in the middle of 2020, and over 50 Secret Service agents were injured that night. And they had to put Trump in the bunker under the White House. I don't see Ted Cruz talking about that. I don't see sellout Ted, lying Ted, talking about that. Wow, man. Wow. Yep. Somebody here um, commenting on the Podbean app says, uh, Trump called Cruz Lion Ted during the 2016 GOP presidential primary and was right. Makes you wonder if Trump was correct saying Cruz's dad worked for Castro. I didn't hear that. That's that's a new one on me. Last I heard, Cruz's dad, you know, uh, fled from Cuba. But who knows now? Violent terrorist attack? Come on, man. Come on. That's that's nuts. Okay. All right, that's it. You've been listening to Episode 60 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof 
of a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier the 10th. Well, that's the way it is. Wednesday, January 5th, 2022.